welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard, I will be your host for this evening, or this morning, or this afternoon, or whenever you happen to listen, because after all, it is your podcast. Today is going to be a work in progress show, and for those who aren't aware, a work in progress show is what happens when we have a creator come on the show who has a, a project about to come on Kickstarter and they're coming on here to tell us all about the project, tell us all about the campaign, tell us a little bit about themselves and it's all about meeting somebody new and finding out a little bit more about them. So joining me today from Netherhaven Games is Price Johnston. So hello well, Price. Hello there. How are so you? So happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. We've already spent... 20 minutes talking about absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's what we Educate, do. <laughs> Educating you about um, Scottish history or la- Scottish history and lack of culture and stuff like that. Well, you can tell by my, by my last name that I am Scottish, you know, the, the John Stone <laughs> clan. Yes. So, it's that, it's that uh, accent. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, I don't have it. I'll try to do my best. Mel Gibson. I would do that, yeah. <laughs> Best Scottish Mel Gibson good accent. <laughs> I exactly. I love you. I want to marry you. It's like Mel, stop it <laughs> right now. You should have just went. All right, mate. I'm just about. I'm over here. I'm just about to take out all these English people. If you could just give us a second, that'd be fine. Thanks. Um. Anyway. I love it. Oh gosh. <laughs> Listen, you asked to be on the show. I <laughs> just, did. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> this wasn't me kind of like going, oh, Netherhaven Games. They started following us on Twitter. We'll have a look at what other doing a project. Let's give them a message and see what they're up to, kind of thing. It was never that. Um, for people who haven't listened to the show before, thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is because we fundamentally believe that they're quite simply isn't enough podcasts out there about board games. In fact, there's only about two and a half of us in Scotland that are doing podcasts. There's ourselves, there's the fantastic Unlucky Frog Gaming, there's also the first player token, but they said they occasionally are doing kind of board game stuff. But we've spoken to them now, so they're kind of like our buddies and our pals. So go and have a listen to them as well. And the second reason that we do this is because... As we've said, we like to speak to people like Price who have, you know, they're taking their, I guess what they would call in the X factor, their journey down the cardboard road. So we want to find out a little bit more about themselves. So we want to, we're going to find out a little bit more about their past, you know, um, a little bit more about what they're going to be doing in the present. And also um, talking about the struggles of war in the future so again price thank you for for coming on and putting up with the nonsense so far um <clears throat> do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about your about your history in the hobby you know how you got involved in the land of kind of i guess pressed and printed trees right okay well it started a long time ago now <laughs> i was <laughs> It's it's ASMR voice. Okay, I'm just going to tell you about my cardboard. All right, (laughs) (laughs) it rubs the lotion on. No, don't don't do that. Okay, I won't go there. (laughs) Get the holes again. Um. Okay, okay. Um, Actually, I got into gaming when I was a little kid. I was I was a single kid for a long time until I had a sister when I was about nine. Mm -hmm. But I played a lot of games by myself. Uh, when I was younger, and I developed this kind of wargaming element game. I don't even know how you describe it, but basically it's little army men, plastic army men that you'd buy by the bag, mm-hmm. and then uh, you use string and pennies and rubber bands to kind of like track their their skills and whether or not they had enough hit points. And you can see that I had this Dungeons and Dragons influence going from the yeah. get go too, and so I'm uh, I used to play out in the fields with just these hundreds of army men, and 
that was my thing. That was my jam. And I really realized at a young age that what I was doing was just making games all along. You know, I'm, I'm convinced, you know, 10,000 years from now, you know, the aliens are going to land. They're going to have like Elon Musk's Tesla with them. <laughs> they're going to like set down in this field and start digging. They're going to be, what the, what is this? <laughs> it's a whole bunch of petrified rubber bands and little army men set up with pennies next to them to track things as they flip over. And <laughs> I don't know. So, did you, did you give them names? Did you have a oh, favorite? Yeah. Did that was the thing favorite? I did. Yeah. Oh. I like the guy that held his rifle above his head <laughs> all, with both hands, you know, and it looked like he was going to stab somebody sideways in some sort of like Pilates movement or something. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I tried to give them names and, and you know, see if they would live from battle to battle and that kind of thing. And and you you can actually see that, you know, in what what I've created now. So it's kind of funny when you go look back. That's how I got started in it was playing with the army men and then trying to develop a a system to track, you know, the war. When you're, um, I mean, when your your sister came along, when your sister was grown up, and there's obviously the nine year. Kind of age gap. Did you two kind of end up kind of playing any games together? Was that when, you know, the parental units kind of brought out Monopoly and said, "Here's something that we can all sit around together as a family and kind of play." Is that kind of what what happened? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it was board game night as a family, and we'd play you know myriad of different types of games, everything from card games to your Monopoly or. The farming game, that was another one that was big in our family. Uh, you had little you know, fields and, and cows, and you tried to make enough money that you could buy more fields and cows. Oh. And, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, did a lot of that. Did you, um, I mean, did you crush her at every single game that you played? No. And, you know, the oh. funny thing is, this is, this is absolutely hilarious. I have a little eight-year-old daughter right now mm-hmm. and i had this game called hi-ho cheerio and you know <laughs> it's this little game where you just flick a spinner and you decide whether or not you or it tells you whether or not you can take a certain number of cherries off of your tree that you've got mm-hmm. or whether or not you have to put cherries back on your tree your goal is to get all the cherries that you have off of your tree uh and my sister just just used to crush me at that game it was as based on you know fate and and i was like well maybe my maybe my uh my luck has changed and uh, i got that game and for my daughter and i lost 21 times in a row 21 times in a row we like we started counting like how how do you lose a game built on fate 21 times in a row but i did so um just rubbish finger or something I, I have I'm it's uh, the bad, a bad problems uh, with spinners I guess I don't know it could be a whole dexterity thing I mean it could be just a dexterity finger type thing yeah. you need to maybe get so get flick them up you know get something yeah. like get your get your hand on catacombs you know they're all dexterity games you need to build up these you need a training montage of you oh, doing no. various different things, kind of building up these finger muscles <laughs> before you go back and you're like, right, s- Smackdown's on now. Bring out that. Yeah. And then you just, the triumph thing. But, just um, get some weights for him. Yeah. Not right now. I'm in my cycle. I got to get the rest of this done <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly. 45 more reps to go. <laughs> 151, 152, 153, 154. Honey, not in, the, honey not in the car. Honey, not in the car. 155. <laughs> I can't break my sweat. I'm breaking a sweat now, you know. People look down my pointer fingers, you know, it looks like a huge hot dog or something. And <laughs> like, hey, what did happen to you? I'd just been working out. It's all set. <laughs> You're kind of wearing really tight gloves to show them off. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be good. Look at these bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it's it at so the py- The pythons are coming out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! It's like, and then you're looking for people that can give you can give directions to, like tourists, so you can point them. Right. <laughs> Did you see that guy's finger, man? Can you can yeah. you can you tell me how to get to the place where they used to do Mork and Mindy? Oh, that's Boulder. <laughs> that's, that's, it's that's, over there. That's over there. <laughs> so, um, you. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, well, that's a tangent. So you um <laughs> you you get yeah as normal, and it's like almost turning into something that you can ride up the road. So you you know you you obviously at some point you're continuing to grow up and. Did you start to move into kind of the, the other games? Did you get into kind of miniature games? Did you stay with the kind of the the kind of the warring side? Because you were, I mean, the kind of the whole kind of I guess the kind of war theme, World War One, World War Two, especially with soldiers and miniatures, has never really kind of gone away. It's always been something that's kind of been present. So did you stay within that? Um, did you stay within that circle, or did you? do what a lot of people did and you kind of left the, the kind of the cardboard and miniatures mm-hmm. behind and did kind of like other things instead. I I did. I left it behind for a while and I went into more of the fantasy type realm yeah. um, and tabletop uh, role-playing games, you know, battle tech and car wars, mm-hmm. Steve Jackson's car wars and, uh, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons, of course, and really got into that for a while. And then magic, of course. I think everybody goes through some sort of magic phase, which is great because there's so much to that game. Um, but I I guess I always had it left uh, boiling within me to just keep going on war games. And so every mm-hmm. time I played, I would just, man, I got to get back into this. I got to get back into this. And, you know, Kickstarter, I think, actually gave me a new kind of out to see new things that I would never see, you know, at the local store or whatnot. And then that was something that really inspired me when I looked at that, uh, you know, and said, hey, I, I still have this board game left in me. I think I can push this out here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the Kickstarter, I mean, Kickstarter's only reached its kind of, its, um, I guess, its popularity within the last three or four years. Yeah. So... Did life go in a different direction for you? Did you kind of leave? You kind of you mentioned obviously you were doing a bit of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Have you since you got back into Kickstarter, or have you started kind of looking at that? And have you got involved in kind of collecting games themselves? Are you are you become a much more kind of active, avid kind of player within the hobby then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I have some favorites, and we commonly get together you know friends get together on friday or saturday night and we'd play you know the the friendship ender battlestar galactica the board game yeah so. i heard um yeah. <clears throat> friends of the show board games in bed they constantly talk about um how much they love battlestar galactica do you play it with the um do you play it with the expansions or do you just play the vanilla game Sometimes with the expansions, but the vanilla game is is good enough for you know tearing those that you love apart around <laughs> you. So I don't, you don't really need to add anything else to that. You could just crush your friends with it. So <laughs> I, I we I literally had two friends just that you know it was just heated and they just went at it and one of them stormed out of the house and it was wow. Like I I just sat back and I was like wow. That's game design right there. I mean, <laughs> you, you you can't beat it, right? You're not I mean, a proper they, you're not a proper game designer until you make somebody cry. Right? I mean, like, you know, we have a we have a thing at the local club which is we pretend it's kind of like time of death and it's like time the table was flipped, and it's when you can tell somebody's actually really ready. They've got that they've got that vein on the side of their foreheads kind of pumped up a little bit and. <laughs> You can see the rage behind the eyes, and they've obviously just drawn a set of cards which have could probably have just spelled out the letters "you're gonna lose" kind of thing, and you see them just to put to reach underneath and go right, that's it, and it's kind of like we call it just when you know somebody's gonna tap out and kind of like go away. I've heard, yeah, that Battlestar Galactica, I guess, like any of these games, if you get people that are really, really into it, I can imagine it being kind of totally, totally heated. Do you own all the expansions for it as well? Do you have? I do. A- I actually have the uh, you know the Pegasus expansion in Daybreak, and I can't think of the other one off off the bat. But yeah, I have the expansions for it. It's just you know it's it's a religion in our house, Battlestar Galactica in general. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did, what, did, like, did, what, what did you comp- did you um, do you compare it well to the TV show? Do you consider it's better than the TV show? 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, that TV show was one of my, if you're stranded on a desert island, you only get, you know, two TV shows that you get to bring with you. Uh, that, that'd be probably be one right there. Like, the remake, I guess. I, I mean, not oh, that yeah. I don't like the, the nostalgia of the first one, but the remake I really enjoy. What did you think of the way it ended, though? As a quick aside. Uh, I I am still not sold on it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of a cop out a little bit. I just sounded like I've opened an old wound. It's kind of like I was. T- <laughs> well, I was gonna say something, but then I was like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't. You know, spoiler. I mean, it's been only only been yeah, out for how long? But ten. It's been, I think somebody said it was been ten years since like the wow the season actually finished. So, you know. Basically, <clears throat> it's it's kind of like lost, isn't it? They're all dead. Yeah. It was all it was all a dream. It's like you know, it was all in the past, kind of thing. It's like you know, it's like when you get really really good writing, and they say, well, we can continue this until it goes stale, <laughs> or we can keep, it, or we can just finish it off in an almighty swoop, and then just like run away with all the all the syndication money we've no doubt made in the DVD sales and. <laughs> Exactly, everything, everything like that. So everything's <laughs> gonna like we've kind of totally kind of totally kind of cashed in. Um, is there anything else that you guys kind of religiously get to the table as well? Then? I play the Heroes of Normandy a lot. All right, uh, okay, yeah, I like that. Jan and Clem, I think, is the designers on that one. Yeah, uh, from Devil Pig, and they, the that game is that thing. That game is great because um, even my my daughter can understand that. You know, at eight. Um, and how you move, you know, the little cardboard elements, which are beautiful, absolutely, and, and thick. And you know, uh, you know, gamers, we we love really, yeah, high quality cardboard. It's just what we revere. Um, but yeah, I, that I've been playing a lot of that, and especially with this expansion that they had, the Shadows of Normandy, where they kind of take the whole Nazi occult thing and yeah. throw it into it, and Cthulhu. Yeah. That's just a great mix of of absolutely crazy things that you would never think would be put together, but I, I love it. I mean, when when you were... I mean, have you been picking up stuff regularly on Kickstarter as well? Because you mentioned, obviously, Kickstarter's kind of opened your eyes to a few mm-hmm. different experiences. Have you, is there stuff that you've picked up on Kickstarter as well that you've like went, oh, yeah, this is really, yeah. really lovely? Yeah, there's a couple <clears throat> games coming out that I'm just really excited about for, yeah and i backed like as yeah. soon as i saw them yeah uh one of them uh joan of arc time of legend yeah i saw that yeah yeah that thing looks that's pretty amazing and another one was the uh uh u-boot oh yeah like yeah a, yeah yeah i saw that that was yeah. the one that had the massive model was yeah. it of the actual u-boat itself mm-hmm. And it actually says, don't worry, guys, you're not going to get it in a six-foot-long box. You can actually take this thing apart and you can pack it away. I think they actually put that on the front the front panel of the Kickstarter page to say, exactly. guys, it's, it's, it's going to be a big boat. But it seems to be it's like a cross between kind of like a, a worker placement and a kind of a role, a role assignment kind of game. Like, I think it's like... Uh, People were talking something along the lines of like Captain Sonar, where people get yeah. kind of different different roles within the game. Except rather than y'all sitting around with a rather than y'all sitting around with like a, a kind of a, a whiteboard, you're actually moving people about through the structure. So it looked yeah, I mean it looked um, it looked really 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 kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, <clears throat> have you do you find this, do you find that you have a tendency to Back more on Kickstarter than look for traditional retail games nowadays. Well, I think retail is a challenge. Uh, you know, there's it's so easy to get on Amazon or get on another you know yeah. online retailer and and browse through things. But there's something to be said about getting to the stores and yeah. holding that box in your hand and the the heft to it. <laughs> you go, oh, there's a lot of cardboard in here. I get to punch out, you know, and that's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you do you think? I don't know. Would you think that something like you boat would even get normally published? It kind of needed that Kickstarter interest for it to get again get developed. Because I see the thing with Kickstarters, you do get a lot of 
people being inventive with how they're mm-hmm. putting games together. And I think the danger with a sometimes can be in a traditional published model, especially in, well, I've seen it in the video games industry, is that you know, you've got a tendency to play it safe and um, play it safe and make sure you kind of play it by the numbers because you don't want to rock the boat too much right. in case it st- scares, kind of scares people away. Though I have seen, board games seem to do quite well though with slightly unusual IPs becoming kind of very popular, like your code names, for instance, that seems to be available in kind of lots of different places, so it's quite mm-hmm. cool. What what makes someone like yourself who kind of gets back really seriously into the hobby and then say, right, actually, I am going to go ahead and start making stuff? I mean, you obviously, you, you talked about, I mean, this sounds like the genesis of this is back, you know, in 19... 19- canteen or whenever it was and and you know it's kind of grown up with you so did your did your designer roots did you keep with your designer roots did you continue to kind of dabble did you continue to play around were you always kind of making up little additional kind of extensions or expansions on your own games over the years i yeah absolutely i kept i kept going with it and then you know i moved into the logical progression for every game designer into theater um <laughs> which i i don't know how that happened but it was just a choice and that happened and uh i had a you know quite a career there and moved into kind of the design side of theater and with that live performance element that background kind of helped me with all of the graphic design portion that i needed to kind of really understand layout and what I needed to do with the composition and put everything together. Um, so, you know, from singing to uh, to actually putting things, uh, you know, onto a paper. Uh, listen, I've um, I've heard, you know, I've heard that's a it's a natural kind of progression. I, you know, um, I know for a fact that um, John Gilmore himself, he's a fantastic bass baritone. Um, that Eric Lang, um, you know, used to be part of a barbershop quartet. Um, there you go. <laughs> you know, I've yeah. heard, you know, I, you know, I've heard, I've, you know, I've, you know, I've even even heard the guys at Wizards of the Coast will often break into an entire chorus of Tonight from West Side Story at the drop of a hat. So <laughs> I think it's it's only natural that you know. <laughs> yeah. You go from, well. You go from wooden actors to cardboard players. I mean, you know, it's just it's just. It's just the way it is, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll say it's normal. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> My ego feels much, so much better now, less bruised. That's it. Well, especially if you know you can, you know, get in contact with Eric and say, you know, do you fancy a little sing song now and again? Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but you, you've obviously, you've kind of, um, you've played around, you've brought games to the drawing board, you've mucked around with rules and pieces and and uh, components and then of war and men has appeared yeah on the horizon so i mean how long of war and men is it's it's a card game yep it's a tactical card game based around um world war 2 yep and when did you first kind of have the idea for you know when did you first have the idea for the game a little over 10 years ago, I really? okay. sat down and started working on kind of a combat system, which is not the combat system is that is in the game now. You know, at one point, I realized I just started playing it, and the numbers that I was playing with, they just started getting really big. And I was like, people don't want to subtract 10,000 from... <laughs> 275,000 and add this and that and yeah it just was you know that is a lot of hit points so uh, like I had to go play, back playing Yu-Gi-Oh or something like yeah, that yeah it was it was literally Yu-Gi-Oh like it was too <laughs> too big I, I, you know I was like I need to make this epic but epic doesn't necessarily mean you know well unless it's a salary or something you know <laughs> multiple multiple di- zeros at the end but uh, yeah that doesn't work for you know, making something work on the tabletop. So, um, but about 10 years ago, 
um, or a little over that, I, I started putting my ideas, you know, down on paper and really getting into kind of doing some math on it and then just back and forth and just working on it throughout the years. And then it wasn't until about three years ago when I was at a point where I, I knew I wanted to make this more of a lifestyle rather than just a hobby. And I said to myself, yeah, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You just, you know, what what better time than now? So I went for it. Is it difficult to stay with an idea through the kind of the ups and downs? Do you have to be quite, um, not set in your ways, but do you have to do a lot, do you have to persevere a lot when you know that, you know that something's going to work, but you just have to kind of kind of stick with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, obviously, the game's gone through a, as you said, kind of a lot of kind of iterations. Um, I think I think a lot of designers will tell you, and, and from what I've hear, heard as well, um, them say is that you find a way to let your subconscious help you, meaning you can take uh, your ideas and you put them on shelf. And then you come back to them later on, and then you find out, oh yeah, that is absolute crap. <laughs> so, and you're like, okay, redo. So you come back, and you just you you find a way to kind of uh, rework things. But I think that that absence actually helps you uh, look at it more objectively. So I found that my progression, though I wanted it to be faster, I'm sure in you know one part of my brain. Uh, has left with a, a a more solid product, you know. At in the end, I I think that you have to step away a little bit and and reevaluate, self evaluate what what's going on. And at the same time, do you store kind of any little kind of mechanics or ideas that you think, well, actually, maybe it's not um, maybe it's not suitable for this game, but it could definitely be kind of suitable for other games. Have you got like a like a notebook of Kind of I ditch do. mechanics that you kind of keep an eye on just in case you can bring it back in a later date. Yeah, and I do, and I keep it around me as much as possible. So, you know, it'll be like 2.30 in the morning, and I'll be sleeping, and something in my brain will just say, hey, you should try that. And I'll <laughs> flick the light on, and my wife will be backhand me, like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I got to write this down, or I'm going to forget it, and then go back to sleep. You know, and of course, uh, what happens is you go straight back to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> and then she's up until five thirty in the morning, exactly. and then you've she's got that awkward thing at breakfast, and it's like. But I have that, yeah. <laughs> Honey, oh, you okay? God. Do you, do I look okay? <laughs> does you and your three, damn does, notebook. <laughs> yeah. Does three hours sleep look okay? <laughs> I'm gonna bury that. I'm gonna bury that notebook, Price. And if you don't watch out, I'm gonna bury you with it. Exactly. Um, let's let's actually talk about mechanics. Okay. Um, the <clears throat> of War and Men is going to be out on. It's going to be out at, towards the end of the month. Yeah, on Kickstarter. On the Kickstarter. But let's talk about the mechanics behind it. We've obviously we've already hinted that it's a little bit of a card game. So how do you how do you actually go ahead and play it? Right. This is going to be interesting because you'll have no visual cues. People are going to be listening, so you have to... Imagine. You have to paint, paint a picture in your mind. In a world. <laughs> Don't right. do that in a world. <laughs> a time of peace. It was a time of war. One deck of cards stood between humanity's downfall. Get down! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's was it's. I, it was my best, but I can't do uh, dialects. Another reason I got out of the performance side altogether. Oh my so, goodness! You know, I oh, can no. sing, I can act, but doing dialects <laughs> while dancing. acting and dancing. Oh you know, no, that's just that is too much. My brain is not going to work there. I can't read scripts. I don't know how to come in on time. <laughs> Why are you, you here? I just joined the wrong queue. Um, I thought this was the lunch queue. I didn't realize it was a lineup for acting class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's a jazz square? Is that something you need? It I sounds really spicy. Good. <laughs> yeah. I do a good impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger getting hurt. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> so, right. anyway. So, so the game, yeah. yeah right. the, the reason so, we're here. 35 minutes in. 
<laughs> yeah, there we go. So the game is a, you know, World War II squad level strategy card game. And it's for two to four players. And it's based around some core mechanics of both map control of areas within the map and then hand management that you have. And I think what makes the game unique is the human element. And that's what I've wanted to push the whole time. Um, I think in wargaming, it can get a little stale because you're playing with your units and they have you know certain abilities and you send them in, you know, I'm gonna sacrifice these these units so these units can go do a flanking maneuver and I'm gonna win the day because these guys are all gonna get slaughtered, but you know, that's okay. And then I'll still win because I capture that objective. And I thought that to myself that that is kind of missing uh, the human element of war. So because this is a you know squad level game, every soldier has strengths and weaknesses. So if you have uh, your private, he may have uh, a strength that he's really fast, so he can run from you know squad to squad really easily. But he has a weakness that he happens to be uh, pretty trigger happy. So when you issue a fire order to another guy in your team, he just uh, doesn't listen and he just shoots off his gun anyways. Um, So you have this interaction between your soldiers that are there. One guy might be a comedian. Another guy uh, might be really stubborn and he doesn't want to ever retreat or move away from the enemy. If he's engaged, he won't leave. And that human element is what makes the game a little bit different and, and fun because you are constantly thinking, oh, wow, will this this squad work? Or is this squad just going to fight the whole time themselves before they actually even engage the enemy? Um, and and I think playing with that strength and weakness element, giving the, the players choices, important. Yeah, so there's that core. So you have... Uh, your your men, you you lay out the game. You you decide your fire teams, and you lay them out, and then you take your hand um, of seven cards for each player that's there, and you build the map in front of you as you start going. Uh, you, there are missions that you can complete, and for example, maybe one mission you have to take this hill, and that hill exists on the map, i.e. the tabletop. Mm-hmm. But in your hand, you also have cards that you could play. You can, you know, put a forest next to it, or you could um, drop uh, some barbed wire stream, or you could um, recon uh, land that you don't know what it is because it's been placed face down, and you have to turn it face up. Um, but you have to play that card. And on these cards that are there that you can execute any of these actions with, there is also another choice that you have to make, and that is, do I play the card to do one element, or there's something else on that card that uh, you have to make a decision about? Uh, and I may need to use that card to drop smoke, um, or I that same card may give me the opportunity to uh, rally my men. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, so you have to make the choice, and sometimes you'll make a choice and it will affect your rounds far in the future. So you will run into problems if you decide to be super aggressive at the very beginning and things don't go right. You may have done yourself in um, for the later parts of the game. So it's, it's, it's really all about hand, manage, hand management choice and that human element of interaction, interaction with your men. Yeah, yeah. So while, I mean, while... Um... You appear. You can take. You could go ahead and you could take the area very, very quickly. You might leave yourself open to some kind of counter attack a couple of rounds down, which means you're not able to defend against that, and you can, you can kind of lose out, kind of lose out that way. Is it about kind of, just because you've got a good set of cards, it's about holding back, not necessarily playing everything in your hand that's available, but sometimes kind of keeping stuff in reserve. In order to deal with a case, a take a kind of any any kind of other possible eventualities that come up. 
Right, right. So you, you sometimes in in the playtesting that we've done, and we playtested it uh, some of the at Gen Con out here in Indianapolis. Yeah, and we've had we had sessions go where it looked like one person was absolutely going to dominate the game, and at the very end, uh, the other person had just played their cards right, and they held on to the right things, and then they executed some pretty amazing strategic moves, and all of a sudden the game just swung um, all the way across. So that that unpredictability uh, you know, built into the battlefield, we try to emulate through the game. So... Make it kind of kind of fun. Is it? Do you bring in kind of random elements into the game as well? Is there like a draw pile which has an effect on <clears throat> that has an effect outside what the players can do? Adds a part of kind of like randomness to what's happening on the battlefield as well. Right. Uh, you do. You you can draw. There is a draw pile, so you're consistently rebuilding your hands mm-hmm. uh, within the game. There is everything from artillery drift. Uh, so if you try to shoot artillery into one point on the map, which is cards that you've built, right, that'll change every time you play. Yeah. Um, but it the wind may blow, and if the wind blows, there's a good chance that it's going to blow, um, you know, one of four directions, uh, and then maybe it'll stay put for uh, a couple other percentile chance uh, on the square that you wanted it to actually hit. So there's random elements that are at play there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's random elements that are at play with your men uh, where they may be really good at um, taking fire and they have uh, a good discipline. But you have to consistently roll to see whether or not they're going to ah run or yeah. or cower, cower down and, and be suppressed by incoming machine gun fire. Oh. And okay. and it's all built around these three symbols, you know, a red D four, a blue, uh, I mean a blue D eight, yeah, and a green D six. Okay. And those are built on the cards, so they're pretty easy to kind of look at the symbol or color, right, and figure out what that role is. And you flip the cards to emulate the role of dice. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the card flips, and that the the size of that deck, the the main deck is is about 192 cards, and you run through that deck as many times as you want uh, or as given to you by the mission, and that's the timer as you move through the game itself. So you're you're pushing that deck and your hand management control. Um, so let's say you're trying to actually get through cycle cards. You want to actually try to make events that randomly happen where you have to flip a lot of cards to roll a lot of dice. So that those dice rolls exist on every one of the cards that are in that deck. So uh, they're part of the engine and part of the game. When you um, when you started out designing the game, was it always a card game? Did you always have that in mind? Was there, you know, was there the huge, massive, big box kind of version that you had a solid board on there and potentially kind of character cards, potentially miniatures on there as well? Or has it always existed in your mind as a card game? Well, I, you know, I I think when I... That's a good question. When I look back, I, I think I've always thought it was a card game from the get-go, except for I saw these army men <laughs> coming in, the guy with the flamethrower, you know, smoking the stogie <laughs> go in there but no i i think it it's always been a card game in my brain i haven't really evolved it past that there's something yeah. cool about being able to just throw it in your backpack um and you know take it with you wherever making it more mobile than say um the world of warcraft board game which is massive and fun but massive right um you just don't throw that in your backpack and I like the kind of portability of the fact that the game, you know, it has a lot of cards. It does. It has, you know, 350 cards in the game, but it does have a portability to it where it's small enough that you could um, bring it around. And I like that, that element yeah. of it. No, I've seen that quite recently with a couple of games. Um, there was the Solitaire kind of war game a while ago called uh, Sons Alies um, or Sons Ali. Um 
And that was you were building a pyramid to capture and it was all based on cards. Quite recently, um, <clears throat> I've seen Grimslingers, um, friend of the show, uh, Stephen Gibson. And Grimslingers is you're building your environment out of a deck of cards. So you have a grid of three by three cards and then you're going through like almost like a story. And the turns of the story are based around kind of drawing cards. And it fits all nicely in kind of like a... A four by six, kind of. I think it's slightly bigger than that, but a small box that you're right. You can stick it in a bag, and you can still have a good adventure. There's um, Legends of the is it Legends of the Five Rings at the moment, which seems to be capturing a lot of people's imagination. And again, it's a card game. It's got counters on it, but you can stick that in a bag, and you can carry it around with you. It's not kind of like try to play mechs versus minions or. Twilight Imperium or something like that, where you're having to basically take a, you know, you're you're really building up those, uh, you're you're really building up those arms. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah, doing exactly. I'm doing arm week this week. What are you doing? I'm I'm, I'm going to be playing Mechs versus Minions. I've seen recently the box for um, GKR Heavy Hitters, which came from Weta, and that thing just it doesn't fit anywhere. <laughs> it just doesn't fit. It doesn't doesn't fit in shelves. It doesn't fit in bags. It doesn't fit on the back seat of cars. It yeah. doesn't fit on normal tables. Honey, what's that at... semi out front? Oh, just uh, back it in here. Yeah, it's all it's good. good. I'm building, <laughs> building, I'm building an extension <laughs> for the house. Yeah, that's what it looks like. That along with the stretch goal box, it's like I'm thinking, that's a summer house. That's not a. Exactly. That's not a board game. Wow. But, <clears throat> I mean, there's the other side of it in building the card game. You've also got the cost side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with the dice, with the dice decisions outcomes being on the cards, was that was that a cost decision, or was that something you factored in from the beginning that you wanted people just to be able to kind of, I guess, resolve kind of dice moves without having to take out a set of d twenties or whatever with them? Yeah, it it wasn't. Uh... It wasn't a cost decision at all. It was put on there because of the portability factor, I think. Um, and the dice component of the game, you could play with a D4 and D6 and D8, get a whole bunch of them together and just roll every time. So if, if somebody really wanted that component, they could do that. I mean, it would throw off the mechanics of the timer, but I, I think that... A lot of times with war games also, you can lose one little, you know, cardboard chit. And that little yeah. chit is the one that you need to, yeah. you know, actually, you know, have this battle work and you can't find it. And, and this is a, you know, a little bit, you don't have that, that option here. You know, it's just cards. Okay. Okay. So, um, with, I mean, you, with the, if you look on the website, you've got kind of like, you talk about expansions. Um, you've got kind of a couple of expansions planned. I mean, once you created the core game, did you already, was it very, very easy for you to create additional expansions and scenarios and additional characters? Yeah. You know that whole Yu-Gi-Oh moment that I had yeah. with the numbers yeah. and moving yeah. into the millions and stuff? Yeah. And then I realized that as I started developing the game, hey, trying to put all the nationalities in the game at the same time and cover every theater of war at the squad level is insane yeah. <laughs> like yeah yeah it's not it's not a tactical level you know it's a squad level it's individual men right so i was like uh, i don't know if i could pull that one off so i had to really focus down and start smaller you know and keep it simple stupid and yeah. just use that so uh i i whittled it down so the the initial game is going to launch with you know f- eight divisions that are kind of scattered across four nationalities, and then the expansion which would come out, um, which we're planning on you know uh, playtesting actually at uh, Gen Con again this year. Um, that would include four more nationalities, and then it would be a pretty complete game from the get go. But it's just it's it was too big. Uh, it, you know, to, to bring them all in at the same time. So 
we we whittled it down to something so you wouldn't be carrying around that or backing up the semi or calling in the helicopter to be like, okay, we got to bring in these extra, you know, 4,500 soldiers, right? So um, I had to make the choice that, yes, it's important. Uh, Playability is important, yes, and accessibility is important, um, but we also need to be realistic. And so the, the the realistic component of it is taking... It down to a size that that's more portable initially yeah and you can and add to that, it and that's just shy of your kind of your your 200 cards that you're looking at then right so there's a hundred and um you know 17 soldiers that come in the in the core game right okay. so um because they're they're spread across division so so you could imagine if i had all of the nationalities at the same time uh, that I was going to try to include, I, you know, the soldier count would push way off and it would just be, it would be impossible to push out um, and get it out the door and have people really experience it. So uh, I made a choice that we're going to have to at least have one expansion that's going to, you know, introduce some of these other elements that are there. But the core game will stay mm. the same. Yeah. Was it, um, were you tempted when you were putting together the Kickstarter campaign to have the expansions as part of the, of the project? Uh, I was, but I realized also that I am not capable of <laughs> superhero <laughs> feats of amazing game design prowess, of designing um, everything quite so big all at once. Uh, though all the numbers and the math is done and and whatnot on the expansion and the soldier abilities, that kind of thing, um, and a lot of the artwork is, is completed, I, I just was not going to be able to get it all in one core element there. So I had to just kind of whittle down and, and keep it as it was. And then I, I, of course, went through the all-important litmus test in my family, which is if you can get my wife to play it, it's good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she does not like war games. And so part of my goal was like, can I design something that my wife will play with me? This will be amazing. Um, uh, you know, it, it worked. Uh, it's not my driving factor by any means, but it is our joke within the family. If, if my wife can play it, then we, we consider it good. Do you ever go for the expert mode thing where you ask her to play a war game um, once you have woken her up at half past two in the morning to scribble down some ideas in a notebook? Yeah, have like, you not hey, tried that? Have you not I should tried try that, that tonight. Yeah, you know. I'll get, I'll get out. Uh, you know, like a, a little, uh, you know, a big book and put a whole bunch of cards on it, and they just wake her up and go, "Hey, can you try this round with me and see if this new mechanic works?" Yeah, I think I'll I be suggest, sleeping outside. Yeah, you need some kind of protective equipment with that. It's like, why, why have you, why have you got the, uh, what, why are you wearing a full flat jacket? Oh, no reason. You're it's all just, good. you want to just, just try this round. What time is it? Have I slept in? Um, no, you've got plenty of time before you have to go to work, honey. But really focus on this right here. See this <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Does this random work for you? Kind of thing. Um. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> what's it been like? I mean, with you, this being your first campaign, is Kickstarter um, a daunting place for people who are launching campaigns for the first time? Who, in some ways, could be launching their tabletop business for the first time? I mean, when you look on the likes of, you know, when you look on the likes of the games that have been out in the last year, and then you're looking at the games that have already been out so far, um. This year, when you're looking at it, you're thinking, can I pick a right time here to launch a game when I'm not going up against somebody else? You know, um, you obviously have a restriction potentially on resources and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had to call in kind of favours from the, you know, from colleagues, friends and things like that to, to kind of help you get the game up to a standard where you're like, yep, this can do it. We are, we're happy to press the button on the campaign. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely drawn on everyone around me to uh, help play test and get things rolling and, and give a bunch of feedback. And, you know, it's 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 a challenge to, to get feedback when somebody says, hey, 
um i don't want to say sucks but yeah <laughs> and, and you're like okay got it yeah you have to develop a little bit of a thick skin when it comes to that but the challenge i think on kickstarter is uh, when you're launching a company, which is what we're doing at the same time. So we're really, longevity is key for us. We, we're we not just putting out one game and then moving on. We really want to be uh, making this a lifestyle. And this is what we consider our flagship game. It's it's not the our game. It's our flagship game as we move forward. So there's a challenge to make sure that people see your vision when you put it out. And that they can understand what's there. And they also understand that there's a certain um, finality to what is being shown to them. That, that, that this, is, this project will actually happen. You know, we, we're completely finished with layout. We're ready to go. We just need a little help with printing, that kind of thing. So you have to, you have to tell uh, the community that and just be yourself. And, and I think that's a, that's a challenge to do. But that's also where Kickstarter, I think, maybe has the edge over retail is you have to say everything on your box in retail, whereas in Kickstarter, you can use a video. Yeah. 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 And you've already got the kind of the video to, together. The um, the artwork on it is decent. It's a good, it's clean. It's not, it reminds me of kind of a comic book type style. Mm-hmm. Um, and the danger with when you're doing a war game is you seem to go, you seem to get kind of two extremes. Either you almost end up kind of being kind of cutesy, which I think can do a war game a disservice, because then it becomes quite cartoony. Or you go to the other extreme of kind of ultra realism, so it almost looks like you're looking at kind of like photographs when you're playing it, and and then it can end up looking like just stock photos <laughs> that right. you're playing on a card. I mean, was that a conscious decision that you made with the artwork to kind of go for a certain type of style when you were putting the game together? Yeah, we knew from the get-go that we wanted to have an artist's hand on all of the characters since the human element was key. That if you looked at Captain DiLorenzo and you could see in in his eyes his life, you know, it was important to see that. And doing that with a stock photo, we just, we couldn't do it. So it, it didn't play well um, with the overall, you know, design. So our, our goal was to kind of skirt the bounds. There is a, it is largely historically based, but there are some concessions that we make for gameplay uh, to make it, you know, fun and enjoyable that more people can pick it up than just people that are you know the grognard or whatnot and they can enjoy the game for what it is so the art style was to design to not only catch somebody's eye but to look at that and say oh yeah if i look at you know private wagner here um he looks really intense and you know i want to know more about this guy and now i can see that he has a problem he He's all thumbs, so he can't repair his weapon to save his soul. <laughs> so um, he's in trouble if things like that happen, right? So uh, that that character had to be there, and that's why we when we chose the art style, which you can see a whole bunch um, on the Kickstarter, and we'll be updating the website alongside that, so you actually get to see everything that's there. We just kind of had a placeholder in, but you'll you get. You get the idea of the characters that are there, and that really plays out on the you know paper in front of you. And I think that's important uh, element for connection for the player. And you don't want those guys to perish. You you want to make sure that they can last from campaign to campaign. And if you're not uh, sold on them as a soldier for their background or what they look like, or you can't you know, identify with them, then it's you're back to square one where you're pushing your cardboard chits in and it doesn't matter if they die and you try yeah. to take your objective. So that's why we chose the art style that we did, where we kind of took a little bit of historical elements, but we also have this character-driven element that's pushed in. Mm-hmm. Also with um, you learning about Kickstarter, were you did you have to take a crash course in things like logistics and manufacturing and 
Yes. All those types of things as well. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, I wish you could take a course in it. I, I took a, 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 some courses at some of the cons around where they you met with game designers and there's, they give you some great um, backgrounds on how to start. But there are things that you learn through the process that you know, just come and sideswipe you and you're like, okay, right. I totally didn't think about the fact that if we ship worldwide and uh, how are we going to pull that one off if we have to ship out of our house, you know, all of these other components. So then there are people that can help you and you can find other companies mm. that will help you, um, you know, with shipping and, and how do you contact them and working with the manufacturers and what was tough and, and, how do you even find manufacturers that do this, you know, and can get started. But we eventually got through that slog and um, it's, it's a, it's a huge learning curve, but um, we, we think we finally got our handle on it. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, if you're going to be stepping in and you're wanting to get, you know, be part of the, I guess the, the theater of war, um, how much is the how much is how much is it going to cost you to to kind of jump in? The base core game is forty dollars, so um, that gets you uh, the all of the three hundred fifty cards. Um, there is a, a stretch goal or not a stretch goal a, a tier that's in there where we're going to take a few individuals that really want to immortalize themselves in a game and will take their name so they can put their name in the game and where they're from and that'll go on their dog tag and you know they can be part of the game itself so that's quite exciting we're we're excited about that and and to see where that will head um you know yeah kind of fun but that that's kind of what we did we didn't we want to keep it simple as well we don't want to have so many different tiers basically it's you, you can get the game you can get two copies, so a game for you and the friend, and your friend, and then you can get your name in the game, um, and and you know, and then get all the stretch goals that are there, of course. Okay, okay. And um, are you shipping? Are you pricing the shipping during the campaign, or are you going to be adding on the shipping at a later date? If the the shipping goes at the at a later date. Uh, okay, but. I think we have the costs already um, fixed with the companies that we were working with yeah. uh, for shipping. So that the 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 backer will know right away, you know, how much it will be. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I mean, it sounds interesting. I mean, I'm always like, a, I'm always I like a card game. I'm a big I'm a big Ashes, um, Rise of the Phoenix born guy. Oh yeah. I just, it's stunning as far as I'm concerned and it's I enjoy it more than I've ever enjoyed magic, um, which I don't like. Um, but this sounds like it's... I mean, if you're in any doubt, check out the website, check out the videos. We'll be making sure that we put links out there so people can find you. Um, where's the best people... Where's the best place for people to find you on the kind of the internet webs, Mr. John Stone? Oh, well, um, you can definitely go to the website, which, uh, do you want me to say that here? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You can go to our website, which is netherhaven.com and it's spelled with a Y in there. So it's N E T H E R H A V Y N.com. Mm -hmm. Um, or of course we have Netherhaven Gameworks on Twitter and Facebook as well. So everything is going across all of our social media, um, as we push forward. And as I say, we will take the links, and when we get the links for the Kickstarter, we shall make sure that we add it into the show notes so that we have kind of uh, notes to show. Um, thank you very much for coming on, Price. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It has. It's been a lot. It has been a lot of fun. Um, and I wish you best of luck with the campaign, which is going to be on. Was it? Just to Americanize it, it's going to be February 27th. Right. <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to say. Um, yeah. Uh, end of the month. Um, the end of the month. Get it now. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> awful. Absolutely awful. Going to have to edit that out. That's rubbish. 
Um, you know, what's your daddy's name and what does he do? Um, <laughs> Listen to me now. Pay attention later. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to put you through the door. Um, and, and so on and so forth. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, and goodness knows, bless you if you do, you can we exist all over Tinternets as well. So you can find us on Twitter, which is We Are Not Wizards, which we we hang out far too much. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, which we don't hang out as much, but we still do hang out a little bit. You can find us on um, YouTube, which is uh, We Are Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. Um, if you search for that or if you just search for We Are Not Wizards you'll find it that way as well you can find us on Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and the lovely Podknife and all these other kind of podcatch T-type places Um, you can find us on Instagram which is We Are Not Wizards if you want to buy a t-shirt shameless plug you can get it if you search We Are Not Wizards on Redbubble of all places Um, links are in the show notes um, if you like what you've heard tonight, then please tell somebody else who's maybe interested in the hobby or just interested in hearing a Scottish person trying to sound like he knows what he's talking about. Um, if you like us even more, then please consider going to Apple Podcasts and subscribing because um, because that helps the show immensely and we are, we genuinely are grateful for every single person who's joined us over the last couple of years now. Um, if you like us even more and you'd like to leave us um, a rating or a review, that would be even better. Um, as we say, if you are going to be leaving a rating or a review, um, don't give us 10 stars because it just makes us big-headed. And don't give us one star because I I just look ugly when I cry. But um, leave us something in the middle like five stars because it's kind of... You know, it's in the middle. It's average, and we are decidedly average. But the gentleman who's not been average tonight is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic Mr. Price Johnston. <laughs> so thank you again for coming on, good sir. I wish you all the best for Netherhaven uh, Games, and of course all the best for Of War and Men, um, which seems to be, um, you know, worthwhile having a look. Excellent. Um, there's only um, a couple of more things left to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Price? Negative. <laughs> Absolutely not, good son. We're <laughs> fighting the Jerry Bosch, and we will send him home crying. Um, we will never Girl, surrender. That was good. <laughs> we will never surrender. I taught Gary Oldman all he knows. <laughs> Except the dodgy stuff. Um and the second and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from from Price. Say goodbye, Price. Goodbye, Price. Every single time without fail. You people do you, do you share the same joke? Do you have a brief beforehand? <laughs> Every single time without fail. And the second thing is it's a goodbye from me. So remember, stay safe. Um roll sixes. And um, come the end of the month, roll on over to Kickstarter, go to the searchy addressy thing, and search for of war of me of war and men, and uh, check out the project when it is live. As I say, we will also have the Kickstarter link um, when it is live as well, so you can check it out too. And keep an eye on obviously on everything else that Netherhaven Games are going to be doing. They are young, they are very very keen, and they are here to make you entertained in the theatre of war and uh, but until but until the next time goodbye say goodbye price goodbye (laughs) just freedom freedom (laughs) right (laughs) yeah fantastic thanks for that yeah (laughs) it was my best mel gibson it's all i got (laughs) and next week join us for cultural appropriation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>